0: Good morning, Journey Church. Welcome to our 1030 service. Would you guys stand with us as we get started with some singing? morning again. At this point in our service, we like to take a bit of time and just, uh, just pray. Uh, thank God for all he's doing. Uh, pray for any prayer requests that might be, uh, that you guys may have. So if you guys would, we're just going to bow our heads and believe together uh, for anything that's going on. And uh, also just thank God for this beautiful spring that we're having. So dear God, we thank you for your goodness. Lord God, we thank you for spring. God, a renewal of life. God, um, we thank you for all the green, um, God, for all the flowers, God, everything that you have blessed us with this spring, God, we just pray that you would continue to bless it. Uh, God, we pray for every single person here, God, that is going through something, Lord God, Um, God, that you would be with them, God, that you brought them here for a reason this morning, Lord God, Um, God, and that you have a plan in store for every single one of us here. God, we thank you for your continual goodness in our lives that we do not deserve. Um, God, we pray your blessing over this service. Jesus, may your name be made great in this service. Um, We thank you for all you do. And everybody said, amen, amen.
1: I e
2: Y'all can go ahead and have a seat. My name is Peter. Uh, obviously, I'm one of the bass players uh, in the worship team. Um, and today is my anniversary. Well, my family's anniversary. Uh, not an anniversary you might think, be thinking of. So 16 years ago today, uh, my family and I were in a car wreck. My mom was driving, my sister was in the passenger seat, and my brother and I were in the back. We were in a Geo Metro, which for those of you that don't know what a Geo Metro is, take a smart car and put a back seat in it. So it's a little tiny little cockroach car uh so we're driving through the intersection and we got broadsided by an expedition so we lost we we spun and hit the curb when we hit the curb i got thrown out of the back window the wind to say i was about 20 feet in the air i flew about 40 feet from the car superman was fun until i got to the landing i didn't quite work that out landed in the middle of the road fractured my skull broke my left shoulder the car rolled and my brother got tossed around the back seat and he broke his jaw on his left shoulder my mom had a fractured rib and a punctured lung, and my sister had a scratch on her elbow. <laughs> mom and my sister both had their seatbelts on. My brother and I didn't. So you don't have to tell us to put them on now. So I think we learned a lesson, right? Uh, Lifelight came and picked me up. And for those of you who don't know, Lifelight is if you've ever seen like a red helicopter, um, it's basically emergency medical transport. So they picked me up, flew me to the hospital. Uh, I died in a Lifelight helicopter and almost died again in ICU. My dad was coming in to check on me. And they were wheeling me out, and they're like, he's on life support, and he's breathing, but he's not moving, so we gotta go check for brain activity. And they found some, obviously. How much is kind of dependent upon which friend you're talking to about me, but uh, I spent uh, a week in ICU. I was in a coma for nine days, and then I was in a juvenile inpatient rehab hospital for five weeks, and then I went home. The only permanent damage is that I'm completely deaf on my right ear. This is useless. Doesn't work, I don't know why I wear it. But it does. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. Um, and kind of a funny story along with that. So one of the times my dad was coming in to check on me. All the, the Life Flight crews always come and check on their patients. And so my dad is coming in to check on me. And the Life Flight guy is walking out. And my dad stops him and he goes, hey, I know you. The guy says, what are you talking about? My dad said, do you remember a kid that got run over by a 15 passenger van? The guy says, yeah, in a church parking lot. But he goes, that's the same kid. About four or five years before the car wreck happened, I had been partially run over by a 15-passenger van in a church parking lot. Um, My my mom was driving. I love you, mom. She's actually here right now. But uh, (laughs) I love you, mom. Uh, It's actually not your fault, but that's okay. Um, So I'm the youngest of three. uh, So of course I'm the last one to get in the van. Well, I had a basketball with me, and we're kind of in a hurry to get home, get changed. It's a Wednesday. Come back for church. And so, of course, I'm the last one to get in the van. Both of my siblings did knocking the basketball out of my hands, but I heard laughing, so I know one of them did it. Also, Josh and Katie, if you all are watching, I love you guys. So, ball gets knocked out of my hands, rolls under the van, I was like, my basketball. I dove after it. Mom didn't hear me and thought she saw everybody get in the van, so she started the van and started driving. And uh, I was halfway under when she started the van. I remember looking at the wheel thinking, this is gonna hurt. And I was right, it hurt a lot. Uh, she actually parked it on my back. Um, I saw her feet as she got out, ran around. She saw me, freaked out, got back in the driver's seat and just locked up. She was panicking so much. She said, oh my God, if I drive her away, I'm gonna kill my son. So my brother yelled from the backseat. He's like, mom, back up, back up, back up. So she backed off and when she did, the blood that had been cut off rushed to my head, burst every blood vessel in my neck up. My eyes were red. I had red pimples all over my face. It was kind of scary. So she ran in to call 911. My siblings get out, pull me out, flip me over, find out later, massive no-no, don't do that. Uh, My brother is doing what a 10-year-old thinks is CPR. My sister is asking me questions like, Peter, what's your name? What's Josh's name? (laughs) Not helpful, Katie. Uh, She was trying though, so we love her for that. Uh, Life flight came, picked me up, flew me to the hospital. Uh, Two x-rays and two full body MRIs later, I went home in less than 24 hours. There wasn't a single thing wrong other than all the burst blood vessels. So, I, I tell that story not to say, hey, look at all the great things God has done for me, you know, and look at that, yeah, look at me. Uh, I tell that story just because, you know, as we come into this time of giving, the reason why we give is because this life isn't ours. Right. Um, I don't I don't deserve this life. I'm living on borrowed time right now. I there was kids in the rehab hospital that have been hurt less severely than me, that had no memory. They had complete memory loss. I didn't lose any memory. I just woke up in a rehab hospital going, this is not my room. What's going on? And and just because, you know, your story doesn't include a car wreck where you died doesn't make your story any less important than mine and doesn't make your purpose here any less important than mine. And so I just, as the ushers come forward, I just this is, we give because, you know, it's God's. This life is not ours, it's God's. This money that we have, the things that we have are not our own, it's God's blessing that we can have these things and that we can have this time and this and this money to give. Um, and. just so you guys know, your money's not going to pay somebody's salary, you know, just pay a bunch of people's salary. This money's going so we can have this church, so we can be a minister to the community, so that we can, you know, give back to the community here. Journey gives 10% of all the tithes that we receive. Um, So, yeah, uh, there's three ways to give online, uh, in person, as the buckets come around, or you can text give to that number. That's actually the method that I use. It's really nice. Um, And I don't say this as somebody who's got giving down or is, you know, great at it, because I still struggle with it. We're human. We have, you know, we want to keep and hold on to things. But I gotta, uh, today I get to remember, hey, I died 16 years ago, and I came back. God saved me and brought me back. And I'm not still dead anymore, so I need to be given what I've got. This isn't mine. So God, I just I thank you for all the blessings that you give us, whether they're big, like saving us from a car wreck, like saving us from... You know any other life-threatening issues god and or if they're small like you know just hey we got a little extra time today to spend with our family we got to see something beautiful up in you know near the sequoias you know god i just i thank you for the beauty of this spring and then the beauty that you've shown us here today this this season god and i just pray that you would as as we give uh, of our time and we give of our money to you god i pray that you would just bless the hands that are giving and bless this body that we may be Uh, a light to the community and be a ministry to the community around us, Father. It's your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, I didn't know how to follow that up, so I
3: grabbed the cutest kid I could find and just brought him on stage. You can just look at him. This is actually my son. My name is Chase. I'm a part of the team here and I got a couple of announcements for you guys. Um, So, ton of things happening within our church one of the things that is very important is easter sunday we will have on april 21st at 9 and ten thirty. we will have our normal service what's up dude um so bring people bring your friends bring your family invite people it's going to be an amazing service you don't want to miss that 9 and ten thirty. but to get ready for easter there's a ton of work that needs to be done we clean everything so that guests can have an awesome experience here So on April 9th from 5 to 8, we'll have pizza provided. But if you are free and you want to help out, just come. Bring work clothes, bring some gloves. We're going to do some weeding, probably painting. We're just going to get this place looking awesome. Um, Besides that, we have a men's group that is meeting um, in April. They're going to meet here on Friday nights. Um, And they're going to go to um, an actual retreat. So they're doing a lunch fundraiser provided by Baracoa. And the day... The date for that is Sunday the 7th after second service. So bring some money, bring some cash. You guys can buy some food, support them so that they can go to their camp, and it's gonna be awesome. Besides that, thank you guys so much for joining us today. Whether you're in this building or not, whether you're online, it is so cool. We have hundreds and hundreds of people joining us from around the world online every single week. So if you guys are ever gone, you can't make it to this building, go to live.avjourney.com. And join in so we love you guys why don't you do this for me why don't you stand and meet somebody around you tell them good morning
4: good morning. Second service is always so much chattier than first service. First service, everybody sat and watched me while the video was going the whole time. I was like, we just have to wait till it's over. You're supposed to be talking, you know. But good morning. My name is Tyler. I'm one of the team members here and I'm excited. We're continuing on in a series called The Healthy Me. And uh, I love this series. I'm, I'm particularly passionate about it because I like many of you, I'm the type that grew up in church my entire life, my entire life. My dad was a pastor. Even before I was born, he became a youth pastor. And so uh, we were brought in to the church from the beginning and have been in it our whole lives. And something that you recognize when you're in the church long enough is that there is, there is nothing to indicate that you can grow spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. I don't know if you've met some some people in church that have been in church a very long time, and in church, you know, they're they're the ones that are like, they're calling you brother. You know, they they come up to you, good morning, brother. You know, their whole language changes. Maybe it's someone you know, and you you look at them and you're like, who are you? Who are you? My grandpa used to be like that. My grandpa, he would come in and, you know, good morning, everyone. Brother, you're the best. God bless you. You know, I'm like, what? And then they leave and, you know, they call you other B words outside the church. He was known for that. Uh, But the church is a place where, you know, it's assumed that you're just going to grow and we're going to become better Christians and we're going to live really cool lives and it's going to be awesome and this, that, and the other thing. But the reality is we live with this lie, this misconception that you can grow spiritually And remain and completely avoid who you are emotionally. That you can completely neglect your emotions and what's going on inside of you. Now, I am guilty of this because by nature, I am the type who completely wants to ignore, like, suppress. All of my feelings, because they are, to me, I grew up with them being a sign of weakness. That was a a symbol of weakness, and so I was not the type to be a very outwardly emotional person, to be friends with my emotions, as they say. I was the type that was like, nah, that's weakness, so you just got to keep on keeping on. We keep trucking, and you just keep moving. And... uh, and if you're with me this morning, then these last couple messages have been hard for you because the first two that we've gone through are, were all about how to become friends with your emotions, that you cannot grow emotionally if you don't know what your emotions are doing. That just because you neglect your emotions doesn't make you an unemotional person. It makes you an unaware person. You still live out of your emotions. You just don't know what they're doing. And these people end up, their emotions end up spewing out of them anyways. This is where you know rage and, and bursts of anger come from, uncontrollable anger, where you're sitting in counseling going, why are you so angry, and you're going, I don't know, no idea. You know, or or maybe, you know, this is where you see depression or anxiety kick in. Emotion that gets suppressed, that gets pushed down, that gets ignored, avoided, that you run from ends up coming out in really unhealthy ways. You don't get to not be emotional because you're not a robot. As long as you're a human, you're going to have them. So the only, now the tension is, you know, we have this extreme with the people who avoid their emotions, end up becoming um, extremely emotionally unaware. And so they're not able to, to really progress spiritually because emotionally, they're not trying, they can't figure out what God is doing. On the other side, there's the extreme of those who are addicted to feeling. Addicted to feeling things. We we want to feel like God is close, and so we're into worship as long as we're feeling it. And if we're not, then we don't we don't worry about it. You know, we're, we get really into, you know, we come to church, but you hear people all the time, like, they were so in it. It was like, yeah, this was the best church ever, and I loved everything about it. And worship made me just emotional, and I just was on my face, and I love God, and I love church. And then a month later, they're like, what happened to you? Why, why haven't you been to church? And like, I'm not feeling it. And I just I'm not I'm not feeling it anymore. I don't feel it, and we become addicted. There's these two extremes where, especially in our culture, where there's this addiction to feeling something. I mean, I was talking about it at first service. My I laugh because females make me laugh. Like not all females. I know you can't. You aren't all the same. I know. Trust me, my sister makes me very aware. Every female is different. So I respect that. But generally, in my family, my experience, females are super funny because it's the one place where the level of success is based on if it made you cry. Like, that was such a good movie. Really? Why was it so good? I don't know, but it made me cry. So it was good. And I'm like, what? So have I never seen a good movie then? And you're like, how many movies do I walk away crying from and I'm like that? And I was like, can it just not be an entertaining movie for it to be a good movie? No, it has to make you cry. That music is good because it makes me cry. You know, I'm like, okay, that, that is our gauge for success. Like, thats it's so funny to me, but it's a thing. It's a thing. We like, we want to feel something. And I don't think that's wrong. I think that's innately in us. To want to feel, to want to, to it, it's what allows us to know we're alive. And yet, to become addicted to our feelings makes those the idol, and we are no longer worshiping God, but feelings associated with God. And that's where we get we go wrong because as soon as you stop feeling, you stop churching. You stop spending time with Jesus, you stop connecting. Why? Because everything I base everything on is whether or not I'm feeling it. I'll do my quiet times as long as I feel like God is there. But if he's not there, why am I gonna waste my time spending time with him? I'm not feeling anything. And so there's this tension, we have these extremes, and there's this moment of finding this middle place, this middle ground, and this morning as we're talking about the healthy me I get the privilege of talking to you about uh, the process of journeying through the wall. Journeying through the wall. My dad likes me to preach the heavy messages. He gets to be the good guy, so no, I'm just kidding. I wanted to give, we wanted to give him a break. He's been preaching a lot lately, so he took last week and went to the marriage retreat, and this week is just one that I'm actually really passionate about. The wall is something that every Christian, if you are genuinely seeking God, you will face at one point or another in your life. You may hit more than one wall. The wall is unavoidable. The wall is something that that we will each come to, and I wanna explain what that is, but you know, when I was a kid growing up, we would ride motorcycles. We started riding motorcycles when I was five years old. I was put on a PW50 with training wheels, and we were taught to just go for it. And so we grew up riding. We would go every fall and throughout the winter, we would go camping out in Cal City. And we had our own tracks and our own mountains. And as we got older, we would go on the big boy ride. And that was where our dads would take us out. And was kind of a rite of passage where they would find, you know, the most sheer face cliff and just be like, right up that. And you're like, dad, no. You know, just this terrifying looking thing. But my dad taught us and he he gave us some wise words. And in going up these mountains, you never knew like what was coming. So sometimes you'd be riding up and all of a sudden there'd just be this big boulder in the middle of your path. And so my dad taught us early on, what you do is instead of watching and looking at the obstacle, you look for where you want to go because whatever you focus on, you're gonna hit. So we would go up, you know, and uh, and you would practice that, and more times than not, it worked. We went out for a quad wide ride yesterday, me and my mom and my dad, and uh, that was a successful tactic. But when you're younger, you know, you hit these points where you know it's all good until you hit the one where you're going up, and all of a sudden, like maybe you don't hit a rock. But there's like this soft patch of dirt, and next thing you know, you're like doing this, and you fall off and eat it. And you're like tasting dirt, and the first reaction is like, Dad, you're a liar! You know, like angry, we want want somebody to blame, you want to put it on somebody. This is not that kind of wall. See, the difference with this is the wall that we get placed in by God is not something you can climb over, go under, or go around. You have to just go through. So the wall is something that we get to look at today, and as a, uh, an example of the wall, I want to take a look at a man named Abraham. I want to read to you guys from Genesis chapter 22 this morning, and we're going to take a look at Abraham's life as kind of an example of what it looks like to go through the wall. So if you would, take your eyes to the screens. If you have your Bibles, you can also open those up, but I'm going to read to you from Genesis 22. Starting in verse 1, it says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham got called. Yes, he replied. Here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. I feel like scripture just puts that so casually, just go murder your firstborn child. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him along with his son, Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkeys, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there, and then we will come back. Come right back. Interesting language. We will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on the top of the wood, and Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy. The angel said, do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from, from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yureh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use the name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. So a little backstory: Abraham initially was named Abram and at 75 years old, he got called by God to step out onto an adventure of a lifetime. He was asked to leave his homeland and to travel to where God was going to take him that was going to eventually be the promised land. Along the journey, God tells Abram that he is going to make him a great nation that through him will be birthed a mighty nation through his own line, his own bloodline. Years pass, nothing happens. So he's continuing on this journey, but years go on and nothing happens. So Abraham does what most of us, if we're really honest with ourselves, do, and he took control. He decided he was gonna make it happen himself. So he slept with, his wife's maidservant, and had a son, Ishmael. This is why it's hurtful. If, like For Ishmael, reading this where it says, your son, your only son, like multiple times, your only son, Isaac, that, that sucks. Where's my middle children in the room, you know? <laughs> the ones who feel invisible, you know what I'm talking about. I don't know because I'm a firstborn, so I never, I never felt that. But I know what you're thinking, But this is a moment where nothing happens and and continues on, continues on, continues on. At 100 years old, God finally gives him a son through his wife, the way he promised all along. And years later, as Isaac's growing up, God then calls him back. And wants him to sacrifice that son that he waited 25 years for. The wall started when God made a promise that it seemed like he didn't come through on. The wall began the moment that God told him, this is what I got for you. And now Abraham's having to walk through this with with nothing but a promise. And the uncertainty and the hope that God is going to come through. Then he gets this child. Finally. And what does God ask of him? To give him back. See, I think this is interesting because uh, there is something so profound in this. Early on, this is interesting just simply for the fact that one, like the fact that God is asking him to sacrifice Isaac is a big deal because this was the very thing that they were, uh, that the pagan cultures around were doing. They would sacrifice to their gods and the way that they got their God's blessing or on their, like their attention was to sacrifice their children to these gods. So it's interesting for God to say that is despicable, disgusting, and then to turn around and tell Abraham to do it. Do you ever feel like God tells you to do something that feels so contrary to what you know his character to be, and you're like, this makes no sense. Am I crazy, or is this crazy? And God's like, just do it. And Abraham had to follow through, and he started walking in what God had for him. But this is the tension, is what happens when we hit the wall. If you are genuinely seeking God, I'll say it again, you will, if you have not already, hit a wall in your relationship with God. And I'm going to go into what that looks like and how to recognize it, but I want to take a look first at a diagram uh, that is the stages of faith where the wall kind of comes in. I want to just describe for you because I, want to, I think this will help set the pace for kind of where we're at and maybe where you'll find yourself along your faith journey so far. So it starts out with stage one, the life-changing awareness of God. And this is what this is. This stage, whether in childhood or adulthood, is the beginning of our journey with Christ. As we become aware of his reality, we realize our need for mercy, and we begin our relationship with him. Stage two, discipleship. This stage is characterized by learning about God and what it means to follow, to be a follower of Christ. We become part of a Christian community and begin to get rooted in the disciplines of faith. So the first stage is your first encounter with Jesus. This is when you experience the good news and you recognize what God is offering and you are hyped on it. Second stage is when you start the discipleship process. Maybe you start getting involved in church. This is when you start attending church. You get plugged into a life group. You start figuring out you know, what it is to, to start cultivating personal, uh, quiet time with Jesus. Maybe this looks like you're This is when you start taking time aside to read your Bible, to pray, to listen to worship, to do devotionals on the YouVersion Bible app you know, or something like that where you start reading spiritual books. This is that growth. Process. This is where you start taking it personal. Stage three, recognize where you're at today, the active life. This is described as the doing stage. We get involved, actively working for God, serving him and his people. We take responsibility by bringing our unique talents and gifts to serve Christ and others. This is where it becomes personal. You realize this is an investment that is worthy of your time, and so you start Giving back. You start plugging in. You start serving. You start being a part. But stage four happens. Stage four is the wall, and it's closely connected, the journey inward. Notice that the wall and the journey inward are closely related. The wall compels us into the journey inward. In some cases, the journey inward eventually leads us to the wall. Most importantly, remember, it is God who brings us to the wall. Stage five, the journey outward. Having passed through the crisis of faith and the intense inner journey necessary to go through the wall, we begin once again to move toward, to move outward, to do for God. We may do some of the same active external things we did before, like give leadership, serve, and initiate acts of mercy towards others. The difference is that now we give out of a new, grounded center of ourselves in God. We have rediscovered God's profound, deep, accepting love for us. A deep inner stillness now begins to characterize our work for God. And stage six, transformed in love. God continuously sends events, circumstances, people, and even books into our lives to keep us moving forward on our journeys. He is determined to complete the work he began in us whether we like it or not his goal in the language of john wesley is that we be made perfect in love that christ's love becomes our love both outward both toward god and others we realize love truly is the beginning and the end by this stage the perfect love of god has driven us out of fear and the whole of our spiritual lives is finally about surrender and obedience to God's perfect will. Anybody at a level six? Elian. Not at a level six. I wish I was, but I've definitely experienced the wall. The wall is a real thing. You look at those stages, and, and what they say is that then after you hit level six, you start the whole process over again, but with a renewed sense of the gospel that you suddenly, you come back to this reawakening of what the gospel is. Because suddenly you're free from the need to to show up to be this image of what you think it looks like to be a Christian and the fear that's associated with stepping out and what God has in store for you. But you can't get there without the wall. See, church loves to talk about freedom, but what we don't love to talk about is that freedom is never very free. Freedom is very costly. And in order for us to live out of the freedom that God has for each of us as individuals, you're going to face the wall. The wall, what is the wall? The wall usually looks like some kind of crisis, whether self-created or something that happened to you. Maybe it's a death that happens in your life. Maybe it's a divorce. Maybe, uh, maybe it's the loss of a job or career. Maybe it's a move that didn't go well. Maybe it's uh, the inability to get pregnant. Or to find the right person to get married to. Maybe it's an unplanned pregnancy. Maybe it's a car accident. Where's Peter at? (laughs) Keep that boy off the freeway. We need to. Cars are not your friend. Incredible message. Incredible message of God's faithfulness. Love it because it, it ties right into what we're talking about today. It can come in any phase and in all different types of hurts and pains and crises. And a lot of times, like, like what Abraham, what I see with Abraham is we get into this place where we're struggling because you feel like you're doing the right thing. You're being obedient. You're trying to honor God. And so what we start to play out is this is what ends up going on in our heads. God, I'm doing my part Now it's your job to bless me and to keep me away from too much suffering. We don't say that, but we believe that. We want that. It becomes a formula. God, I'm holding up my end of the deal. This is the bargain. Now you do your part. You ain't coming through on your part. And the problem is, God doesn't play that way. And we hit the wall, and some of us are reeling from the wall, disoriented by the wall, and have no clue how to get out the wall. For me, uh, I don't even have enough time in the day to tell you about all my wall situations and the, even the most recent ones, but what I, what I, when I was praying about this and thinking about this, one of my earliest wall moments or one of the most, I think, profound in my life was actually when I left for college, and God put on my heart, I didn't want to go to college, I didn't think there was any importance in, in more education, I was good, I wanted to be a missionary, send me to the mission field, I can help people, it'll be great, it's an adventure, I'm traveling, it's a win-win, and God was like, you wish, you're going to college, and so I started going to college, and started studying the Bible, but from the, like, from the get-go, I had a thousand dollars to my name, private school is not cheap. And private school, uh, the people who work at private school, they are not interested in charity. It is a business and they will get their money. So if you're hoping for them to just be like, you know what? It's a free pass. That day will not come. You're going to work for it. But I went in with $1,000 to my name struggling because instantly I'm like, God, I don't know how I'm going to pay for this. So from the get-go, I have the financial aid office. I have the accounting office calling me. Hey, you have a payment due. Hey, you have a payment due. And I'm like do you want to pay it? You know, God told me to be here, but I'm not, I can't pay it. So I don't know what you want from me. So there was that stress. I moved into an apartment off campus because um, I didn't want to live in the dorms. So I was supposed to have a couple roommates. They dropped out of school the week before. So I ended up in an apartment in a foreign city by myself in the heart of LA with not, without knowing a soul starting school and instantly like my life is just kind of, really uncomfortable. And outside of being at church, I'm actually very introverted and very to myself. So I'm not the type that goes out and just makes friends instantly. I'm I'm just I'm the sit back in the in the back of the class kid. And to to make matters worse, you know, I had to take because I hadn't very little money, I had to take 18 units a semester to get the max out of what the semester offered, so I'm going full-time, but at the same time, I felt God lead me not to quit working here because I was already working as the youth pastor and doing worship here. So I was living in LA uh, during the week, taking 18 units, working and doing all that, coming back Thursday night, or Thursdays, preaching Thursday night, doing whatever work I had to do here, leading worship Sunday mornings, and then driving back Sunday nights and doing it all over again for two and a half years. Around that same time, God had put on my parents' heart that for us to put our house up and to move. um, And yet he didn't provide a new house. So we ended up living in a fifth wheel trailer with my very large family for nine months. Nine months. We could have had a baby in that time. Like we could have literally added a new member to the family in that time period. It's a long time. So I have no sense of being rooted. I have no sense of, of being, you know, of. of of anywhere that feels consistent, that feels safe, that feels secure, nothing about what I'm going through. And then beyond all of that, I'm in these theology classes where my entire idea of God is being ripped to shreds and pieced back together. And so I don't even necessarily know that I can trust him. So I don't even want to go to him because I'm already mad that I'm at this school doing something I don't want to do. And then two, that that now I'm supposed to talk to him and I don't even know that I trust him because I don't even know that I know who he is. So I'm sitting there going, I don't know. What is going on? But I remember there being these dark, deep, like painful nights. And you're, you know you're in, you're in this. They call this. So the process of going through the wall, they actually call the dark night of the soul. Our early church fathers call this. This is something that you know Mother Teresa went through, John Wesley, St. John of the Cross. He 500 years ago or so coined this the dark night of the soul. And it's this process where you begin to recognize there's an emptiness. Where everything that you are doing spiritually just doesn't, it's not working. You can't pray enough, you can't worship enough, you can't be spiritual enough, you can't listen to enough podcasts, you can't serve enough to make yourself feel better. You are praying and you feel your prayers bouncing off the ceiling and landing back on the floor. There are moments where you feel completely hopeless and helpless. Maybe you feel weak and tired. You just got nothing left to give. And everything that you know is not working. This is what I hit. And I remember I'd go deep uh, late at night that we had a 24 hour chapel and I would just go sit there begging God to just show up. And I would just sob. I broke, I fully broke down and I remember I just would sit there completely alone because nobody could fully be with me in that because I wasn't fully home and I wasn't fully there. I didn't have enough time when I was at school to actually create relationships because I had, I had to go home to work, work on the weekends and, so, and nobody at home fully knew. So I felt so lost and so alone. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. And I remember I just, I broke. And then I got angry. And I remember doing our, my two and a half hour drives back and forth every single week yelling at God. And I'm not talking about that like internal yelling that you do to your spouse in your own head that you don't tell them. You know, I'm not talking about the kind like where you're when you're playing the spiritual role and you're like, you know, somebody upset you, but you're at church. So you're playing it real cool, but you inside are seething mad. I'm talking about the crazy, you look over to the person next to you in their car and you're hoping that they're either singing or talking on the phone because otherwise you are terrified that they are driving next to you because their mouth is moving and there is nobody else in the car. That was me. Out loud yelling at God. We were duking it out. I was mad and I did not understand and I didn't get it and I didn't feel like he was good and I didn't feel like he was there and it was just time to just wrestle it out and continue on this process. And it was hard. The dark night of the soul is something we all face. It's the moment when everything that we try isn't working. Now, let me make something very clear. The dark night of the soul and feeling like God isn't there is not In a season when you're in rebellion and removing yourself from God because you are proactively sinning and doing what God is not asking you to do, that is self-created disconnection from God. I'm talking about when you are seeking God, and you are truly trying, and you know that you are in the process of doing what God has asked. You are fighting to be obedient. You are fighting to to live out the life that he has called, and yet nothing seems to work. Nothing seems to fix it. Nothing seems to make it better. What do you do? See, because you didn't bring yourself to the wall, so you have no control over when you get out of it. And we don't like that. We don't like that. St. John of the Cross, he puts it this way. Because this, this is what it's doing. I want to I just clarify what the wall is doing. Why is the wall important? Why does this matter? Why do we need to go through the wall? Why is it significant for each of us? And St. John of the Cross, he says it this way. God is purging the soul, annihilating it, emptying it, or consuming in it, Even as fire consumes the moldiness and the rust of metal, all the affections and imperfect habits which it has contracted its whole life, these are deeply rooted in the substance of the soul. At the same time, it is God who is passively working here in the soul. What is going on in the dark night of the soul? Us, our images, our, our self-interests, our, our focus, our ambitions, God is ripping it all apart. And he's replacing it with him. The problem is we, we get saved, we invite Jesus into our lives, and then we think we're going to help God. Or he's just going to help us live our best lives. So we don't like messages like this. And I'm very aware But I'm not doing you any favors by not telling you that if you're truly seeking God, you won't face it because it does you no good to go through it unaware and then have no way of getting out because you've been in it so long now that you didn't even know there was a way out. The wall has a purpose. In the wall is where we are transformed. We are humbled to our core. Folks, we have such a tendency of, of pride. We wanna do it ourselves. What I learned when I was at Viola is I don't know nearly as much as I think I do. That I'm not nearly as smart as I wanted to think I was. And I'm not nearly as helpful to God as I wanted to believe I was. I think I'm like that little I I realized I was like that little kid when you have like small children around and they want to help you. You know, you're trying to clean the house or something, and they're like, let me help you. They're not helpful they're cute but they are not helpful you know you you just swept up this whole pile of you know of all the the dirt and the stuff in your house and they just come in and they're just like and next thing you know it's all over you're starting from scratch I feel like that's what it's like a lot of time when we're trying to help God you know it's we're like let me help you and God's like please don't please for the love just relax and just hang out We hit the wall. It's uncomfortable. It's deep. It's dark. But any person who has ever done anything significant for the kingdom has hit the wall. They've hit the wall. And the wall is significant because what comes out of the wall, the results of the wall, the fruit from the wall is transformative. And these are a few of them. I want to look at them real quickly so we can close out. The first one, we'll look at four, four things that can be an indication if you are coming through the wall, you can start to hopefully see some of these playing out in your life. The first is a gradle, gradle, man, I missed that one, a greater level of brokenness. Folks, when you come through the wall, what the wall reveals is all the ugliness that's inside of us. It starts just bringing it up. It's uncomfortable. And we want to run from it and most of us try to cope through it and we just avoid it and we try to keep on keeping on without having to face it and you can't and it reveals the ugliness that's inside and it is deeply profoundly humbling. The, a greater level of brokenness is not meant to make you feel worse about yourself It's meant to make you aware of where you are so that we can actually live out of the freedom that God has created us for. Because until you hit this level, we will continue to be beggars that are judging other beggars around us. We will continue to live our lives. Judging the performance of every other beggar and how well they're begging because even though the fact is we are all desperately in need. This is not the kind of begging where you have somebody who's fully capable of ta- changing their circumstances and just wants the money because it's the easy way. We're talking about the type of person who is malnourished, exhausted, laying on the ground, and barely able to ho- hold up a hand asking for someone to help because they are in dire straits. They are in desperate need. That is us outside of Jesus. But until we go through the dark night, until we recognize that, we start looking around and we start judging each other. The deep level of brokenness and awareness of that allows us the freedom to not be easily offended. A test of whether this has been a true reality for you is to, know, to notice how easily are you offended. Now a lot of people front like they're not easily offended, but your heart is offended. How easily are you offended? Why, because offense is an indication of pride that's still inside. It's a, it's a me, it's the image, it's the I that I want. Why, because when we recognize our deep level of brokenness, what ends up happening is people start insulting you or they say something that hurts you deeply, that wounds you, and in your mind, everything that they come at you with, your, actual, your mind goes to, man, you don't know the first thing about it. It's far worse than you had any idea. You're barely scratching the surface. You get what I'm saying? Like, there's a different mindset when we're in a place where it's like, hold up. I'm going to put you in your place and being able to say, man, what you're saying doesn't even scratch the surface. You Take a seat. You want me to tell you a little bit? Like, let me share. Blow your mind. How easily offendable we are. Offendable is not a word. But it's okay. Matthew 5.3 says it this way. We have that. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The other, other versions call it being poor in spirit, to be poor in spirit. Recognize this being poor in spirit is not has nothing to do with finances or wealth or whether you are super saved and Christian and you're a pastor or not. This is an awareness that each of us come into a relationship with God literally empty-handed. We've got nothing to offer. It is the spiritually poor, the ones who have come through the wall, who are able to recognize, I offer nothing, but I'm here. And I'll take whatever you have for me, Jesus. This greater level of brokenness frees us from the need for approval, frees us from the need for acceptance, frees us from the need of anybody else's opinions because we are already recognized I am unworthy. And so as I approach the gospel now, I recognize it is simply the grace of God that allows me to be a part of anything that he's doing. That's it. The second one is this. A greater appreciation for the holy unknown. Folks, we love control. We love it. We control our whole lives. And part of trying to con- of understanding things, we want to understand things so that we can control them. And I think we do this to God all the time. We work to get him to a place where he feels understandable to us. Because if he's understandable, then he's manageable. And we've completely diminished who God is. The fact that he is knowable and completely unknowable. That he is close and intimate with us and yet far more vast than we could ever imagine that we could not even scratch the surface of how how vast he is that it limits our faith we become people who are too comfortable too settled in with a god that is that is controllable and that we can manipulate and we can get him to do what we want and we like that god because then we're in control and he's not this This greater appreciation for the holy unknown is the acceptance that I have no clue what you're doing and I'm just along for the ride, but you are a better driver than I am. That you are in control because you are the one who knows what's going on. And when we give credit where credit is due, God should be the one who is God and not us. I love that there's this story, summarize it quickly, uh, there's this story, kind of like an ancient Chinese proverb that, that talks about this idea um, of the not really knowing. We think we know what we need. We think we know what's going on, and yet we have no idea. Um, there's, the story goes that there's this old, wise man in China and, and his son. And this son had a, a stallion, and it was his prized possession. And one day, it got, it got free, and it left. And the townspeople all came, and they, they shared their condolences, and we're so sorry for your loss. Uh, you know, that's terrible. And he goes to his dad, and his dad says, what makes you so sure this isn't a blessing? The horse comes back a while later, and he brings with him a female. And they have these gorgeous, gorgeous uh, horses Now, all running around free, and it's grown their wealth. And so now the people come out, and they're they're celebrating with them and telling them congratulations, like on your good fortune. And he goes to his dad. The boy goes to his dad, and his dad says, "What makes you so sure this isn't a disaster?" Short time later, the guy is riding his horse. The boy's riding his horse that is his prized possession. He wants everybody to see it. Falls off his horse and breaks his hip. Townsfolk come back out. We're so sorry for your bad luck. This is terrible. Goes up to his dad, his dad says, what makes you so sure this is a bad thing? Year later, war breaks out and the whole town is sent off to war. Nine out of 10 of the men that left died. But the son didn't have to go because he had broken his hip and was crippled. So him and his father were able to continue on taking care of each other and living out their lives healthy, and provided for. See, God in his approach to us, oftentimes, it is our deepest struggles and tensions, our broken hurts, wounds that look on the outside like our greatest failures and losses. And yet, I hear God in my heart just on the inside going, what makes you so sure that that isn't the greatest blessing?" Why because I believe with all of my heart that as a result of these deep wounded places my dad says this all the time uh, There was a wise man who once said it is unlikely that God can use a person greatly until he wounds them deeply because we have to get out of the way. We limit ourselves. We are so insecure and worried about everybody else. Worried about stepping out. Worried about what people are going to think. Worried and, and we're uncertain and we're unsure. And God's saying, who cares? We've got a mission to do. And it's those who seemingly have success that end up a lot of times with their financial you know, success. And they have all their stuff and they have all this. That end up, it actually being, becomes their greatest their greatest loss. Their greatest failure, the third one, is a deep ability to wait. Do you know that it takes humility to be able to wait for God, to trust him? Like Abraham, I think a lot of times we want to rush the process. We do not like God's timing. But anyone who did anything great for the kingdom had to wait. Abraham waited 25 years till he had his son. And this is after God had already promised. God promised David that he was going to become king. David defeats Goliath. He gets moved into the kingdom. Saul decides he's going to kill him. He gets sent out into the desert wilderness for 13 years after he's already been told he's going to be king. Esther goes through this whole process of winning this beauty contest to become queen only to find out that there is a genocide being planned for her people and that she may lose her very life trying to save them. Elijah, after this massive success, In calling down fire from heaven, destroying all the idol worshipers and the prophets of Baal and Asherah, gets told he's going to be killed and goes to God and just like, take my life now. Just take me. Y'all, there is hitting the wall and there is a waiting that is unavoidable. And yet, if we can wait, there's fruit to come from our lives. There's fruit to come from our lives. The last one is this, a greater detachment. Plain and simple, we just stop caring so much about stuff and the secondary things that are not kingdom focused. Not that we can't enjoy them, not that we can't like them, not that we can't have them. There is nothing against it, but it just isn't our priority anymore. It is not the focus of our hearts, and it is not the focus of our lives' pursuits, to be comfortable, to be safe, to acquire more, because we already have everything we have. This morning, you may be in the wall. Maybe you have yet to approach the wall, or maybe you've seen yourself, and hopefully there's light at the end of the tunnel of the wall, but wherever you find yourself this morning, the beauty is this, that in order, and in my darkest moments of the dark night of the soul, I could not point a finger at God and not see the cross of Jesus Christ, that he sacrificed everything first, and he went through it first so that we could also go through it. It changes what the gospel means, folks, because suddenly the gospel isn't this cute, like, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, and I love Jesus because, you know, I had some sin a little bit, and he helped me with that, you know, like like you had this little... This little thing God had to work through no we are just trash inside and out for like on our own we are filthy rags our righteousness is filthy rags it says and yet God places value on us and there's a purpose for your life and I'm so convinced that if each of us would walk through the wall well and not give up and not quit and not turn around and not run back that our city and our country could be transformed that we could actually begin to change our culture's view of God because it's not about perfect people on the platform and perfect people in churches. It's people who fully embrace their brokenness and are now living out the true gospel, which is I was blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Folks, it is gonna take some people. You know who the people are that I respect the most? It is people who have dealt with significant heartache, pain, brokenness whether it's self-caused or just as an effect of the brokenness in our world and have come through it seeking and worshiping God they're rare and I value them highly because you look at them and I think more than anything our culture is craving people who are serious about what they believe just somebody to look at and to say wow they actually believe what they're saying and I believe if we as a church And if we as a community could step into and approach the wall with with grace and with a willingness to just submit to God's heart for us, we would come out more free to step into everything that God has in store. If we would be willing to submit to his way, we will come out. And like Abraham, we'll have the full ability. God will just be able to allow our lives to be so fruitful, so effective, and to for him to be glorified through our lives. And in the process, we will become, like Christ, we will become love, where we can learn from anybody. As the worship team comes and we close. My question for you this morning, where are you in this process? On that diagram, where are you at? You see, it's so funny preaching and being in church. I think we get so comfortable with the safe God that we have that it's, it's the reason why it's easy to just get comfy in church, doze off a little bit. Why? Because we're not in need and our God is not as big and as necessary as we need him to be in order to fulfill the brokenness of this dark world. Folks, he's using us. And it's gonna take us to get through our walls in order to step into the destiny and the life that he has. And God does that through allowing us to process the hurts and the wounds with him. Can I encourage you this morning? Don't run from it. There's blessing coming. There's good in store. And there's lives that can be affected by your willingness to be obedient. Hope that can be found There are people in your worlds right now that are struggling with hopelessness. And it's not because they're in the dark night of the soul. It's because they've yet to experience Jesus at all. There are hurting people all around us. We are so blessed. Let us not use that to just continue to gain more. Let us use it to be a blessing to the world around us. Let's pray. God, as we close this morning, I recognize that this is not uh, a favored Topic or message. I recognize that this is uncomfortable. I recognize that most times We would rather talk about your your grace and your goodness and your love but father I pray that being willing to confront This aspect of the process of being in relationship with you that it would bear fruit In each of our lives god, I pray that it would it would create a greater passion for your name for your kingdom God, I pray that as a result of coming out of the dark night, that there would be a deep freedom and an ability to step out into all that you have for us. That we would for the first time ever experience the joy that you promise, the fulfillment that you offer, and the peace that surpasses all understanding. God, I pray that your will would be done in me. That your will would be done in each person in this room as they open up their hearts to you, their willingness to submit to your process. God, I pray for strength and courage to face walls left and right, to get to go through them and to come out better for them. God, that we would have more stories like Abraham's and John of the Cross. Mother Teresa and these people who have done phenomenal things for the kingdom, for every person in this room who just feels average, God, I pray that you would birth a new passion and a dream in their hearts for what you desire in their lives, that we would be effective for your kingdom, and that your, your kingdom would reign on earth. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are here. Be glorified in your name we pray. Amen. Why don't you go ahead and stand, and we're going to close with a song of worship.